Uh, so I've got about 12 minutes left to cram it all in. We all all right? Are you well? Did you have a good time last week when I was away? I just want to say, can you just do something for me? I know it's funny and it's a real joke, but can you stop messaging me and then telling me on a Sunday morning how amazing church is when I'm not here? It's, I, know, I promise you, it's genuinely, it's stopped being funny and it's no longer a blessing. To be, you know, that's, oh, it's because you're not here and everybody comes. Like, that was funny five years ago. Now I'm just getting a complex. It's not good for me. Um, last week, the last time I spoke, a couple of weeks ago here, um, we began by talking about taking hold of a fresh start. So we're doing the fresh series. Um, I don't understand the English up there, but I got it from a dictionary, so I just copied what it said. Um, allowing the Lord to release us into a fresh day into fresh beginnings, and that's the series we're going to continue with. That's how, what we're looking at really is effectively how, how we get kingdom come into our current life situation. It's about how we live now in our right now situation with God, your heaven on earth, um, instead of waiting for one day I'll get to heaven and just surviving now. So it's your kingdom come is the heart of this fresh series. And so over the weekend, so over the weeks, we'll be going to unpack piece by piece what it looks like to have heaven on earth, what it looks like to be his people now, how we should be living. We're going to do that by unpacking different characters from Old and New Testament. Today we're going to be looking at David, before he was King David, uh, but just a young young boy. Um, So I had a little look at what fresh meant. Fresh uh, meant... is to, to mean something that's acceptable and highly approved by someone. Um, fresh is a phrase from the hip-hop scene of New York in the 1980s. But you all knew that, didn't you? Because yeah. you were all around in the 1980s. Yeah. Unlike the young people in the room, I'd never heard the phrase fresh before. I'm too young. I never watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air every night at tea time. And now on Netflix and catch up. Fresh is derived, it says in the dictionary, in the sense of being something brand new that is attractive to people. Used to refer to anything highly approved by someone. That's quite good, isn't it? Here are some uh, synonyms for, for fresh. New, brand new, recent, latest, up-to-date, modern, modernistic, ultra-modern, newfangled, more original, novel, different, innovative, unusual, uncommon, out of the ordinary, unconventional, unorthodox, offbeat, radical, revolutionary, out of the common. Are they great words? And here's the deal. I think that is the sound of God's people. That we are countercultural. We're in the world, but not of the world. We are new creations. And so that list of words I've just read out there, I want them to be part of my life. I want, I want to be that kind of fresh. I want to be that kind of new. So over these sessions, we're going to be looking at some characters as I say, and today we're looking at David. Um, because we're looking at siblings. We're going to mention siblings today. Who here is a sibling? So lots of us have got brothers and sisters. Uh, so a quick... Uh, quick survey there we've got brothers and sisters here's here's some pictures that people have recreated their childhood sibling photographs as as adults so the little kids and then the grown-up kids have emulated it I've got three of these and I've got to say they're all slightly disturbing when adults (laughs) siblings you gotta love siblings (laughs) that one is just so wrong isn't it there's something like the little one's cute, the grown-up one's is just disturbing. What is going on there? <laughs> that is just wrong in every sense. <laughs> uh, and then there's this one in the back together. 
strange. I was trying to get one of Robert and Megan, but they absolutely refused to reproduce their bath story, their, their bath picture. They said it wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, it would have been inappropriate, apparently. I did find one. Oh, no, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> So we're going to be looking at siblings. Um, there's something strange about the sibling relationship, whether a younger sibling or an older sibling, um, whether you're a middle child. Who's, who's an older child? Okay, so you apparently are the natural leaders because you practice by dominating your younger siblings and emulating your parents. Who's a middle child? You're just broken and need the Lord to rescue you and give you an identity. Who's, who's, a, who's, the, who's the youngest child? Oh, you're just spoilt, indulged, get everything, get the opportunities, the doors are open for you. You choose to rebel just to make a statement in life because you're not the oldest or the middle. Okay, so now I've upset you all in one form or another. I'm not sure there's a lot of truth in this uh, oldest child, youngest child thing. I know the middle child syndrome is real, but the oldest, youngest child I'm not so sure about. Let's have a little look at Scripture, because I want to unpack this. I want us to bear in mind what we were as children. What were we as young people? Where do we fit into family? Where do we fit into family now? How do we perceive ourselves? Because, you know, so much of how we see ourselves in the family of God has been determined by how we see ourselves in our wider family, in our wider context, in the relationships and friendships that we have. And so I want to talk here about, um, I'm going to unpack a little bit of a story about when Samuel, a great prophet, comes to anoint a new king and he goes to a particular family. Uh, and in this family there are a number of sons. And here are the verses about which one of those sons he anoints to be king. And I've got to tell you, if you are the youngest member of this family, you are not being parented well. You're feeling fairly grim in this story. So let's, let's just read this story. So text is going to be up here. I think you can probably read that reasonably well. Um, so it begins, Samuel's arrived, he's kind of, great, he's kind of swept in, this big prophet. Um, bear in mind, this is the kind of Bronze Age, and it's a bit kind of, I don't know, I've got this picture of a guy in a big cloak. I kind of wanted to say Merlin, but that would be inappropriate, wouldn't it? But he's this kind of big religious leader, prophet type, and he sweeps in, and he's going to anoint the new king. And everybody's a little bit edgy about this guy because he's super spiritual, super godly. And this is what happened. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So this is the, the eldest son, big, massive guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was handsome. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. And jumping on to chapter 17. Now David was the son of, an F, of, of that person named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons and, Saul's, uh, and, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to war. The first born was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. 
The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah and roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. What a weird story. You're the youngest shepherd boy. Just want to get this in your mind. All your big brothers live at home on the farmstead doing well. You get sent out into the fields with the sheep. And your dad has to be reminded that you exist when the great prophet comes. And you get brought along. And you get anointed to be king. And what's the result of this anointing? You get sent back out into the sheep fields to look after the sheep. What a strange kind of... Because you know... If a great prophet walked in here now and anointed somebody to be king, we'd all make a fuss of that person, wouldn't we? We'd all be all over them. But in this situation, no, in the fields. It's interesting that the eldest were not picked to be anointed king. You know, 90%, I did some looking on some survey stuff, and 90% of senior CEOs in big companies are firstborn sons. Firstborn sons. Not just firstborn, but firstborn sons. There's a bias in our society. There's some psychological thing going off. But God isn't interested in biases and psychological stuff. God is interested in choosing the right person. God is interested in who you are. The youngest child generally has two distinctions according to psychologists. One, they are spoiled by the parents. And two, they are unaware that they are spoiled by the parents. I read this in a book. I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, actually, as a middle child, I do completely agree with that. Um, I was a younger child, put your hand up. It's all right, you're unaware that you're spoiled. So don't, don't be offended by that, you're unaware of it. Psychologists have said, you're unaware. So you're like, we're not, not going to hold it against you. You're unaware that you are spoiled brats. We get that. You know, what I love is that in the Lord, we do not have to be prejudged and boxed like that. We are bigger than a psychologist's opinion of our society. We break out of that. We become God's people. We are chosen, and that is really special. In David's day, very little, very little would have been expected of him. He displays fewer characteristics of leadership than his brothers because he's out in the fields. He doesn't get a chance. He never gets a chance to lead. He's got no younger siblings to practice on. I had an older sibling. I had an older sister who was practiced leadership and control of my life from the day I was born, and she still does. <laughs> I can say that because there's no way on God's earth is she going to be listening to this recording. And if she does, I love you, Julie, but you know what? You're still running my life. Um, so, <laughs> I'm not bitter, I'm just middle. Um, the seven older sons of Jesse worked near the father's house and had every opportunity to grow and to learn and to be involved. The youngest was sent alone into the mountains to graze the family's flock of sheep. Uh, because here's the deal. Being a shepherd then in the mountains in that period of history was super dangerous. Because there were bears and lions. And David actually says, I had to kill bears and lions to defend the sheep. So here's the thing I want to say to you. Imagine growing up in a household where you're the expendable child. He was the expendable child. Who's the youngest? Put your hand up if you're the youngest. You're the expendable child. You're the one that gets sent out. You're not supposed to nod when you sat behind your dad. Just don't nod when you sat in front of your dad. No, but seriously, 
there were seven other brothers. So he gets sent out into the fields. That's an amazing thing to think about. And yet bitterness is so clearly not in David's heart. There's no sense of loss. Um, I don't think he saw himself as expendable. He saw himself as serving. I've heard it said that everyone can be replaced. Well, I don't think everyone can, can be replaced. If a bear had got David, he couldn't be replaced. I think we're all precious and critical in the life of the church because God has called us to be. God has called us together. God has placed us together. He calls it church. He calls it family. So I don't think there's a single person in this room that doesn't matter. There's not one person in this room that if they're not here would be unmissed. They all matter. They're all vitally important to God's plan and God's purpose. This youngest son would leave home and take two things with him. A sling to fire stones to protect the sheep and a guitar to kill time to play um, and he learned to write music he learned to fill his time he learned poetry he learned to sing his number one experience when you sat in the fields with sheep is boredom have you ever sat in a field with sheep they are not exciting creatures there's not a lot happening the guy is gonna be bored so he spends his time writing music a little bit friendless a little bit isolated by himself I guess he becomes quite introspective. And the beautiful thing is, he learns to express himself in poetry and in song. And we begin to see that in the Psalms. We see that David is capable of filling time by expressing himself before God, by unveiling who he is to God, by sharing heart before God, by beginning to speak. And I think that began as a small boy, as a shepherd on a hillside. As he grew into his teen years and beyond, he's still a shepherd. And in that place, he learns to worship. In that place, he learns to serve God. In that place uh, where he has no real responsibility, where he's apparently expendable, he learns to hear God and have a build a relationship with God, ready for when God calls upon him. He's used to living a kind of secret, unseen life, out of the way. The seven brothers are impressive, and they're seen by everybody. He's unseen by anybody and forgotten, even by his natural father. He's used to live in a secret, unseen life. But here's what it says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. Because all of us have unseen parts of our lives. But in Matthew 6 verse 6 it says, Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, our Father God, we are never unseen. We're never expendable. We are always wanted. We are always seen. He's always aware of us. So even when you think you're in the isolated place, when you think you're in the midnight place, the out-of-the-way place... Our Father God is always there. He's always seeing. He's always knowing you. He's always aware of you. You are always precious to him. No one gets to see David living on the edge, defending his sheep from wild animals, learning to sing and to worship, quietly serving his father with everything else, literally risking his life to serve his father by protecting the sheep. Nobody gets to see that. He just does it. And this is something he writes. He, he's probably the author of Psalm 119, the famous psalm. And in verse 62, he says, At midnight, I rise to give thanks for your righteous laws. So while he's out by himself tending sheep, at midnight, he rises to thank God for his laws. Thanks God for who he is and for the input into his life. This is a young man that is alone. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, a similar story about midnight, that unseen place. And Paul and Silas have been taken prisoner for talking about the good news of the gospel, for just doing church effectively, for doing what we're doing now. They get arrested and imprisoned. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You see, what we think is unseen in that midnight hour, that place where we think we're alone, is seen by 
our Father God. But it can also be seen by others. You know, something about how we live in the quiet place, in the unseen place, is heard and seen by other people in the public place. So when they thought they were at their dark midnight place where nobody could see or hear, other prisoners were listening. There is something about your life that is lived unseen that will be revealed in public. You know, what we are will be seen. How we live privately is the person we genuinely are, the authenticity, the integrity of who we are. You see, sometimes when we're in that prison place at midnight or that sheep's pasture field at midnight, we think we've come to an end. But I want to tell you what we may see as an end, God sees as a fresh beginning. God sees as a fresh beginning. Oh, we've got a nice little sibling picture there. I forgot to change that one. That, that is so me trying to get rid of my younger brother. Well, not mean that I didn't wear a bow and a dress, but obviously <laughs> the concept behind it. But what we may see as an end, God sees a fresh beginning. It's about being faithful in the unseen place. The midnight moments of life matter. You, if you are human, if you are normal, if you're anything like me, if you're anything just that, that lives and breathes, is made of flesh and blood, you will have had those kind of midnight moments where you're thinking, why? What am I about? What am I doing? What am I achieving? What is seen? What is unseen? What, what, what am I doing in God? What am I achieving? Where am I going with this? You'll have had those moments where what is this about going off in your heart and mind? Uh, Peter uh, Peter, the great apostle, he had, that, he had that same kind of issue. What am I about now? He'd messed up, he denied Christ. He's disconnected from everything that appears to be happening. Who am I now? What, where do I go with this? What is my life worth? But Jesus said, it's in that lonely time that I prepared you for Pentecost. He was being prepared for Pentecost because for the, he was being prepared even in that midnight place for him that he would be able to stand up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people would become followers of Jesus Christ. But in a sense, he had to go through that midnight place to find out who he was, to find out that it was Christ that he adored, to find out that it was Christ that he wanted to lay his life down for. And church, you might as an individual right now be in a place where you're saying, what am I for? What do I do? What is this about? What is my role? Does nobody see this? Yes, our Father God sees it. And in your obedience and in your walk with God in that place, there is a day. There is a day where that preparation and that midnight place that you feel in your life can be revealed and you will be ready. You will already be equipped and you won't even realize it. You'll be prepared to stand up. You'll be prepared to speak out. You'll be prepared to step in and be involved. Peter had a fresh start. You can have a fresh start. The midnight place matters. So please, here's, here's a pet gripe because I've got a microphone and I'm allowed to do this. You know that midnight place where you're bored and rigid and you can't sleep and you've got something going off and you're a bit glum? I don't want to know on Facebook. Two reasons. One, Facebook wakes you up. The screen makes you more awake. Going on Facebook will not help you sleep. Number two, we're all asleep. And we won't see that you're awake until tomorrow morning, by which time it'll be too late to sympathize because you'll be awake anyway by then and there's nothing we could have done to pray that you'd be asleep. Then I'd, just, you know what? We can't uh, just say to us, would you pray for me that I can sleep well tonight? If you can't sleep tonight, we'll merrily pray for you right now that you will sleep well tonight. If you need help, phone somebody up at midnight. All of our leadership team, all of our Connect Group leaders... <laughs> Everybody keeps their phones by the bed for you to phone up at midnight and say, I can't sleep, would you chat to me for a while? Okay? 
Put your hand up if you can't group leader. You can see who they are. They're all, come on, come on, you're supposed to be committed to this. So two of our three, two of our connect groups are prepared to speak to you. The other one, well. I've got a deal for you. Steady on Facebook, here's the thing. I've tried this and it works because I'm one of those people that gets on Facebook and trolls and surfs and just, um, that was trolls about, not trolls about, by the way. Um, I do something really radical now. I've actually, I know it sounds super spiritual. I've tried praying or reading. Read my Bible or pray. Don't read the electronic Bible because that wakes you up. Read, you read your Bible, relax, pray over it, think about it. It's a weird thing. You fall asleep. You actually, then when you shut your eyes, put your back on the pillow, you begin to fall asleep. You begin to rest, and you can actually rest in the Lord. I genuinely think there's something spiritual going off there. I just want to encourage you to try it. Seriously, I encourage you to try it. Uh, we do sympathize that you can't sleep. Uh, my wife has suffered from insomnia for many, many years. Um, the sofa is so comfortable. Um, and it, it is <laughs> it's a place that I've learned to love, um, where I can sleep. Our world pushes us to look for rapid recognition. What am I doing? I'm serving in this, but nobody sees it. What's this about? Our world pushes us to look for rapid recognition, or we think that we failed. All this Christian life stuff fits together when we realize we're not on religious X Factor, waiting to be spotted and picked up. We're not on Big Brother Church, where we can be seen and voted for. That's not what we're about. We are people living lives before God and serving Him. We aren't looking for fame or recognition, likes or approval. We just need to carry cheese faithfully. David carried cheese. David has just been the anointed king. And what is his job? Take cheese to your brothers. Think on that a minute. The most famous, powerful prophet in the land has come to your home. He's sought you out. He's brought you in from the fields. He's brought you into the presence of everybody. He's anointed you to be the next king. And what does your father do? He says, take cheese to your brothers. Oh, by the way, you've still got to look after sheep. So for weeks, he's chasing in between his brothers with cheese and grain and looking after the sheep. He's a dog's body. He's a dog's body. But he's blessing his father by bringing news. And he's blessing his brothers by taking food. And he's protecting them all and blessing them all by protecting the sheep. He's just simply getting on with his job. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It says, take along these ten cheeses to the commander of your brother's unit. You've caught bears, you've killed lions, you've been anointed to be king and you are a cheese bearer. That's the moment you need to know your destiny is greater than your current dilemma in life. And there are people in this room, and I know they often phone me up or will want to chat and say, yeah, but what about, what about, what am I doing in church? All I ever do is come to church cleaning. All I ever do is, is, is maybe go to house group sometimes. All I ever do is, is, all I ever do is make coffee. You know what? You are cheese bearers. <laughs> you are cheese bearers. You are feeding, you are protecting, you are preparing, you are enabling and when your giant comes, you will be ready. Because I believe God is going to do something in this town. There may be a call over your life, a, a promise, a prophetic word, but this I know, it will never be established until you carry cheese well. We have to be good cheese carriers. Uh, I think I might have a slide there. I can't, I can't. No, no, it's not. 
Um, oh yeah, that might be it, yeah. Yeah, there's a call over your life. There may be a call over your life, but we have to learn to serve well in the unseen first. There's a massive tension here that says, if you haven't got some dilemma in life, you haven't seen your destiny. You see, I, I, here's the deal, is what I see. I do see a large church in this town, dotted across this town. I would expect Emmanuel Church on Huddersfield Road to thrive and to grow, to flourish. You know, please God that St. George's Church thrives and grows and flourishes. That Gateway Church, the other side of the town centre, thrives and grows and flourishes. That Legacy Church up by the motorway thrives and grows and flourishes. And that we in the town centre thrive and grow and flourish. We have an enormous town now that's growing rapidly. We need the church to be growing at a faster rate than our church is growing. We need to see, see people saved. We need to see people discipled. Isn't it amazing we've got um, a handful of people that are completely unchurched, unsafe people doing Alpha? You know, the deal is there are tens of thousands of more people out there that haven't got a clue what Jesus is. And so we need a strong, vibrant, healthy church. So right now your job might be a cheese carrier, a cheese bearer for God. But you know what? Just maybe the day's coming when your giant will stand before you. Have you got a destiny? Of course you have. This isn't about being isolated, lonely or discouraged, but it's about preparation. That's the fresh perspective David had. He wasn't rejected, he was in preparation. We meet to recognize what's happening. We meet here to recognize what's happening, what God is doing, and God is doing something in our town, God is doing something in this church, God is doing something with this rabble of people that we call up our church we gather here on the morning we kind of arrive between nine o'clock and ten fifteen it's for the uninitiated we start at ten um, but God is doing something here do we get it right all the time no we don't get it right all the time do we love the Lord and want to get it right and to grow and be healthier and mature in Christ of course we do that is a heart that's why we, we come here so we don't stand around pouting because we're unnoticed we pray and we diligently serve so when somebody's serving you coffee this morning thank God for them because they've served coffee and that means a brand new person in this room gets to receive that coffee and feels looked after so their cheese-bearing role in there is vitally important. The people on the welcome team, the people that cleaned it. I'm not big enough trying to get you to all sign up for in the small jobs, but feel free to sign up for the small jobs. Because, actually, they make people at home. Sermons don't help people feel at home. They can teach them, they can instruct them, they can inspire them, they can freak them out, they can scare them away, they can bless them, they can do a million things. But what makes them feel at home is your friendship, is your welcome is your coffee and people stay for a relationship they may come because they've heard about the amazing speaker that Hope House Church has obviously that's one of the key reasons they arrive but that was last week when Julie was here <laughs> but they stay for a relationship a relationship with the Lord but a relationship with his people so friendship and relationship matters and that is a calling that every one of us has so we don't have time to pout we need to pray and diligently serve Times may not be times of disappointment after all. There may be times of preparation. Some of us have been preparing for years of our life, saying, I still do this job. You know what? You are still blessing the people of God. It's, it may be that it just is not God's timing yet. It may be that you're still in preparation. Here's a thought. If it matters that you're seen to be doing something, maybe you still need to be in preparation. When you no longer need to be seen to be serving, we don't no longer need to let everybody know what you've just done. Maybe that's the time when your preparation is complete and you can be released into all that God has. 
If it's still a matter of people see the service, then you're still in a place of preparation. David understood that. that God was going to meet his needs in a completely fresh way. That's why he could be a nobody carrying cheese. So let's take a step further forward on that. He's living in kingdom come already. David is living in kingdom come. He knows he's anointed king. He knows God is faithful to his word. He knows when it's God's time and he will be revealed and God will use him. He's living in kingdom come so when he has to stand before his giant, he's already learned to live now, not just in a one-day dream. See, he's not dreaming about being king. He's living and learning to serve as a king at that moment in time. I look at our town and the love the Lord has for it and I see a fresh day coming for his church. There are going to be some giants for Hope House. And we're going to need to be great cheese bearers and great servants so that when that day comes, there'll be new champions in this room that can stand up to the giants. And this room will have brand new champions in it that will stand up to the giants. So when David arrives at the battlefront and sees a great big Goliath, a great big warrior, a huge warrior, taller than everybody, when, it's, when it says giant, can I just, it doesn't mean something that's 45 feet tall. We're not talking... You know, we're talking about a huge, massive warrior. Piles tall. I mean, there's something that makes Tudor look like a short guy. Some massive, great, muscular hulk of a warrior type. With His shield is so big, somebody carries it for him. His spear's massive. This guy is scary big, and nobody wants to take him on one-on-one. But years before that warrior stood before David, he defeated his giant. He was already prepared. He practiced at targets. He practiced on bears. He practiced on lions. He knew what it was to serve. He knew what it was not to look glorious. The stone was not... Here's, I want to shatter a myth that I was told at Sunday school as a kid. The stone from, from David's sling was not supernaturally powerful or supernaturally accurate. It was a stone from a sling. But it was the stone from a fully practiced shepherd boy that knew how to use a sling well. Me and Robert were watching something the other day. Um, we stumbled on, didn't we, by chance, about, you know, a slingshot where they swirl it and swing it? They've done tests on that. You know that piece of lead or the stone? When it hits something, this, they tested it on this program. It is as powerful as a Magnum 44 bullet on, on impact. Right. You imagine being hit by a Magnum 44. It, for those who are uninitiated, it's a ginormous handgun. It's like an enormously great, stupid big gun. Um, from the olden days that makes big holes when it hits you. And David is using a slingshot. Here's the deal. Goliath had always lost. Goliath had always lost. The two things, David knows that God is on his side. David knows he's anointed. David knows that God is faithful and he's not going to be defeated. David also knows, I am really good with a slingshot. I am so good with this slingshot. Boy, this big, I can't miss. Look at the size of him. Thank the Lord he's not a little warrior. He's a great big warrior. This is about faithful living and serving that allowed David to fully, faithfully live and lead in the now moment. He was fully prepared for years looking after sheep, fetching and carrying for his father, sometimes overlooked, unseen, but faithful before God. So when that moment in time came, he didn't have to arrogantly stand up. He just stood there in the person that he was already, a young man with a slingshot, knowing that God was with him and he was anointed by the king, knowing that he was chosen. And you are a chosen people. You are a chosen people in exactly the same way. And God can prepare you in exactly the same way. This isn't a revival moment where God breaks out in victory despite David's weakness. You know, we often pray for revival. I shall tell you, it's a word you won't find in Scripture. And I'm going to be dead contentious. And if you're from an AOG background now, you're going to stone me. 
revival is not in Scripture. What is in Scripture is God's faithful people that walk well, that prepare well, that when the time is right, when they are ready, when we are prepared and function well before God, when everything is ready in God's timing, then we are able to stand up when he breaks out. It isn't a shock to our system. It isn't a panic. It is God's anointing. See, Peter was able to stand up at Pentecost because God had been dealing with him, and he was ready. He'd have been apprenticed before Christ, and when he got it wrong, he'd been learned and he'd been restored by Christ. So when the moment of breakout came, he was the breakout in God. He was the Holy Spirit-filled man and breakout in God. This isn't us stood there, useless, pathetic, waste of space people. Oh, my days. God breaks out and does it despite us. God does it with us. He calls us co-workers with Christ. That is heaven on earth. That is your kingdom come. That is claiming the promises of God in our right now situation. And if that offends anybody, come and tell me why it's different to that in Scripture. Because that's what I see and that's what I read. God's people prepared. The Holy Spirit poured out into us. Us ready for that moment of praying into it, serving into it, preparing for it, so that when God's timing is right, his people can stand up ready. His people can stand up prepared for that revival time, so that there is salvation, so that our people can speak out, so that there are champions that can defeat giants and see his kingdom in. What do you think gave David the faith and confidence to think he could take out a giant warrior? Years of unseen service. Years of seeing God faithful to him. Years of God's protection. Years of preparation. Until we learn to carry that cheese faithfully. Until we serve faithfully. Until we grow. God's not going to break out just yet. But what he will do is help prepare us. He will feed us the fives and six. In an alpha course. He will feed us the conversations. He will feed us the growth. He will feed us the preparedness. He will begin to slowly gather the ones and the twos, the person from here, the person from there. We will begin to unite, begin to mold together, begin to walk faithfully, begin to own the identity that Christ has put on us. When he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. When it says that we are set aside, when it says that we are set aside anointed people, we are his, we begin to own that and begin to walk in that so that his kingdom can come when we begin to walk in who we are. So in our workplace on Monday morning, when you walk in the person you are called to be, you don't have to be admired or to show off or to, to do something impressive. You don't have to put on a great suit of armor. David didn't. He stood in the person he was, a young man with a sling. You can stand in the person you are in Christ on Monday morning, in your office, in your hospital ward, uh, in the bank that you work in, wherever it might be that you go, in your classroom, in your nursery, at the school gate, with your friends, in the coffee shop, wherever you may be, wherever your sphere of life is, you can stand as the person you are in Christ. It is sufficient. You don't have to put on armor. You don't have to put on shiny, look good bling. The only armor you need is the armor of God. Helmet of salvation, shield of faith. They're the things you need to put on. This is a fresh day in the Lord. You're wondering why you're here? You're being prepared for God. You're being prepared for breakout. You're being prepared to face giants. This is a fresh day in the Lord. God didn't get to know David on the battlefield. He already knew him in the pasture fields. Church, let's not wait to get to know God when the giant arrives. Let's get to know the Lord now. Can I have the band back, please, if I can? So we can't carry crowns well until we've learned to carry that cheese well. I totally believe that God has placed a high call on us as a church. 
He places a high name over us. Jesus intercedes in the highest place for us. David, like us, is revealed fresh and brand new. In Philippians, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus became the ultimate servant and we're told to emulate him Jesus didn't put on airs and graces he didn't try to be special he didn't try to be king he was just who he was and he served and that scripture goes on to say that he didn't pursue or fight for glory but the Lord gave him glory the Lord put honour on him we are called to be the image bearers of Christ and this morning I simply want to say to us Are we prepared to be the image bearers of Christ? Because that's what your kingdom come looks like. When we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, actually what we're saying is, I will be an image bearer of Christ. In my life situation, that's who I will be. I will seek to be the image of Christ. We've got to learn to serve. We've got to learn to step up and take on the giants, faithfully knowing that we have a victorious God. Here's what's fresh not just a revival against the flow and expectation, but a breakout of God's people ready to step into their commission. You see, I don't want to be defeated people that, phew, God did it anyway. I want to be walking in partnership and unity with Christ because he calls us co-workers, co-heirs. So when God breaks out, when our Father breaks out, I want to be with Christ at the forefront, breaking out with them, seeing salvation, seeing transformation, seeing our communities changed, Because that is a freshness and revival I want to see. It's our Monday morning message and our fresh lifestyle. Fresh is derived as in the sense of seeing something brand new and is attracting people. It's used to refer to anything highly approved. And I want to add, highly approved by God. So this morning we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to close with this worship time. We're going to mingle. We're going to welcome people. We're going to have teas and coffees and conversation. We're going to make a sense of home. We're going to make a sense of family and of unity. Of encouragement and stirring. But this morning I just want you to set aside whether you're an older sibling or a younger sibling or a middle sibling or whether you're an only child. I want you to set aside what it is you serve with, how you serve. Set aside your frustration. Set aside your dream of one day I'd like to be this and settle on. Can we just be image bearers of Christ? Can we be image bearers of Christ? Can we take on who he is in our right now situation and let him prepare us so that when the giants come, Any of us in this room can be champion. Any of us in this room can take on a giant. Any of us in this room, as we are, like David, just a boy with a slingshot, can take on the warrior, can take on the enemy. Because God needs a people like that in this town. We have a town that he loves. And his commission over us is to go into all of Barnsley and share the good news of Jesus Christ and to teach them everything he commanded us and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. When we do that, he is with us always to the very end of the age. Your kingdom come. So let's be kingdom come people now. Let's be the kind of people that say, Lord, send me. 
send me. I'll carry the cheese, I'll look after the flock. I can be unseen, but I know that you see, and I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it to bless your people and to honor you as my Savior. So if that's you as we sing, as we worship, I'm just going to encourage you, it's a strange thing, not to come and be seen here, but simply to stand when you're ready in worship. And stand before God. And stand almost, if you like, saying, I want to be that champion in Christ. I want to be the one that wins. I want to be the one with a slingshot. I want to be the one that has walked so closely with God that victory is assured in Christ. That there's no doubt in my mind that the Lord has purpose over me because he has called me, he's appointed me, he's anointed me, he's set me aside. I am part of his royal priesthood, part of his holy nation. I'm part of his chosen people. That is who we are. We just have to walk in it. So as the band are going to sing and lead us in worship, I'm going to sit down. There's going to be no call forward. Just you in your time as you are ready to stand in worship, if you can. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, you're saying, what is he going on about? What I'm talking about is the most amazing Jesus that is real and alive, that is relevant and is poignant for today, that is not just a storybook character from, from old, that is not just like a myth or a fairy tale but he's real, who died and rose, that is historical and is alive today and is creating brand new history even today. And if you don't know him, I would love to talk to you about him and introduce you to him because it is life-changing for eternity. And the eternity begins now, not just one day in the future, but today. So let's worship God. And as you're ready to be a champion, as you're ready to say, I want to walk this walk, then just stand and join us in worship. Amen. Amen.